Hello and welcome back to the Stronger with Sport uh, podcast. And today's guest is uh, Mary Hulgrain, Kildare ladies footballer, um, an intermediate All-Ireland winner of um, Kildare in 2016 and also a ladies All-Star in 2016. Now she tells me she's half Swedish. I was asking her about her surname, Hulgrain, so she might have a different pronunciation. She also t- told me she was possibly could have been a member of ABBA, but didn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Mary. Thanks, thanks for having me. Uh, Mira, I'm going to go right back to the start, um, like I do with all my guests. Just tell me a bit about yourself, where you came from, growing up, what was it like being uh, Mary Hulgrain as a young person? Yeah, I'm from um, from Calaire, I'm from Salins, um, St. Bridges Terrace was where I grew up, it's council estate in Salins and um, yeah, I loved it, um, just, it was a real tomboy, just playing football, uh, ga and soccer, just on the green all the time, uh, just never wanted to be inside, just football, just trying to beat the boys was all I wanted to do was growing up, um, I had no real interest kind of in anything else but sport and just competing and I think, I think even like, Whatever it was, whatever you were doing, tip the can bulldog. I just wanted to be the, wanted to be the best when I think back. Like, just um, but yeah, that was it. I had a, I have a brother and sister. I have an older brother and a, a younger sister. And um, they um, they're, they're my, my brother's me rock, and my little sister is me me world. She's over in in Canada at the minute. And um, yeah, life growing up was uh, it was interesting, I suppose. Um, I struggled a lot, I think, growing up. I think I was living up my head a lot. Um, and I sport. I think sport was my outlet for that. Um, and it took me away and it just, it just, it was my safe place. It just kept me safe, you know? Yeah, I, I can certainly um, connect to you. I even say now sport is the one place that I feel free and I can be myself. Um, I probably never, um, when I was younger, felt like I could be like I was on the po- football pitch that I am off it. I'm probably a different animal on the pitch than I am off it. People can't understand, oh, you're shy and quite off it, but you're quite different um, on it. And I, I suppose for a lot of us, sport is really a huge outlet that we probably didn't recognise at the time when we were growing up that was an outlet to be safe and to be yeah. who you are. Yeah. Um, I suppose, talk to me about when you went to secondary school, you fell in love with another sport in basketball. How did that come about? And I think you wanted to be, was it an NBA player or something at the time? Um, but yeah, tell me about your kind of your schooling years and how you fell in love with basketball. Yeah, so I didn't, I never touched basketball until I went to secondary school. I was always just playing underage, playing with the county. And um, my, a couple of my mates um, played for a team, a school team in, in Nace, not too far from me, called the Cool Cats. And they were like, oh, come on in on one Saturday morning. And I was like, no. Um, I knew I, I kind of you know I just not know you're not going to be good at something and I hated that I hated not being good at it whatever I did I always had to be the best and I ended up going for a session and I was shit and I said no way am I uh, going back and they, they dragged me back the following week and I think I kind of seen it as a challenge and um, yeah I just I fell in love with it but like I just I became obsessed with it like I really did it was just it was 24-7 I was on the courts in school um, I was in my old school last week and even all the teachers were saying to me like, all I remember you, Mary, is just when you're supposed to be in class, you're out in the court playing basketball. And I'd walk to school with it, I'd come home with it, I'd sleep with it. It was just, I wanted to be just the best I could possibly be at the sport. And um, yeah, I had, a, I had a dream then and I, I just wanted to be a professional basketball player. And um, everything else just took a, took a backseat, that was it, yeah. And, and from there, um, you... you, you kind of realised your dream was to go to America on a scholarship um, to Connecticut. Tell us how that first of all came about and then obviously leaving home 
as a young person to go out and, and try and chase a dream? Yeah, I think I, I remember actually being in school and I remember like there was a guy from Calair, a good friend of mine, Paul Cummins is his name, and he'd gone over to the States to um to play basketball. And I, it was almost like, you know, when you've seen someone else do it, exactly what you're doing, mm-hmm. you paved the way for other people. And um, I was like, it, it can be done, but I didn't know any, any girls that had done it. And I had it in my head then, and it was like, once I get something locked in in my head, and I'm still like that today, I just, I have to see it through. And I used to go to a camp down in a in Dungarvan in Waterford called Dungarvan Basketball Camp at the time. I don't think it's still going, but... I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, and I used to go down every summer. And I used to stay down there for the, the two or three weeks and there used to be American coaches that come over and um, I was over there in my second year and I remember a couple of coaches saying, wow, geez, like, you're good enough to go over and play in America. And then I started to believe a little bit in myself that, you know, maybe I can do this. And um, after a couple, kind of, a couple of years going to Dungarvan, um, I got a, kind of a couple of contacts from the other coaches over there and... I actually, um, I remember getting, I got 50 different envelopes. They were like the brown paper envelopes with the bubble. And I used to, all my school games or whatever club I was in, I used to record the game. So you had to record, like, it was a full, it was a VHS tape at the time. <laughs> I had a camcorder. One of my friends used to do it on the balcony in school. And uh, it was a VHS tape and one full game and then like a highlight reel. Yeah. So I made 50 of these tapes, put them into all the envelopes. I put in like a profile and just my achievements and, and, and whatnot. And um I just picked 50 schools, a couple of the schools that I'd been in contact with, other coaches, and I just let them off and I just said to myself, you know what, like something will come back if it's meant to be. And I just wasn't letting anyone tell me no. And I remember I was coming into four, fifth kind of year and I remember meeting with a guidance counsellor and I was like, oh no, like, I don't need to do my leaving cert. Like I'm going to America, you're all right. And uh, the guidance counsellor, I'll never forget it, she said to me, you need to, you need to get a real college and a real job. She said, you, you can't be living off this fantasy. And I was kind of like, all right, like, you know, I'll, sh- I'll show you. Like, and I'm the kind of person if you tell me I can't do something, I'm going to go and do it, take a picture and I'm going to send it to you. And I was like, 100% it was going to make it happen. But a couple of schools that got back to me basically out what I'd thrown in. And um, there was one school in contact with me. Uh, Mark McCaleb was the coach's name from the University of Bridgeport. And I was coming into sixth year. I went home one day and uh, my mama had, uh, there was black bags at the door and she packed up my bags. She said, no, you're not putting any money up and you're not getting a job and I'm kicking you out. And I kind of was just like, like she'd done it all the times before, like she was, I mean, I was mad. But um, I just said, right, that, that's it. This time I said, that's grand. And I went in and I stayed in my, my mate's house in Nace and I slept on her couch for a week and I got in contact with a good coach I'd known from, from the north. And he had said, come up here and stay until your scholarship comes through. And um, there was a thing called the Clearing House at the time. Mm-hmm. And because I went to St. Mary's College, they thought that I had gone to college over here, which is a lot trickier to get into the States over there. Yeah. So I was waiting for basically my scholarship to come through the clearinghouse. Yeah. And uh, so I was up the north playing for, I think it was about seven or eight months. And I was walking through Queen's University one day and I remember getting a phone call on a brick. I'd say the phone was this size. Definitely the Nokia yes. 20 is <laughs> It was huge. I remember just looking at it and it was a, I think it was a 001 number or something. And I was the coach and he said, Mary, your scholarship's after coming to a clearing house. I, I need you over here in two days. And I went home to Salins for a night, met all my cousins and we had a bit of a party and then I headed off uh, the next day and just got on a flight to, to JFK and landed in a JFK airport and I, I met the coach there and it all started from there, yeah. So that's as a 17-year-old? I was just 17, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I turned 17 in the September and I had gone there, so it was the 1st of January, yeah. 
So I was 17, yeah. It was the 1st of January because I came in for the second semester because I was hoping to get in for the first semester, but I didn't get through the clearinghouse. And I came in then halfway through the, the, the first year, yeah. Because I'm trying to relate, for me as a 17-year-old, I remember when I was 17, I was just after losing my mother. So I was in a really bad headspace at that time. Yeah. I remember I actually had given up sport for, for a couple of months and went and done a couple of things that were, weren't, weren't probably too good at that time. Yeah. But I can imagine most 17-year-olds to have the courage to get up and leave and just say, I'm off to America and, and follow a dream that you, you know, a sport that you only kind of fell in love with in secondary school. Yeah. Um, like that's, that takes, to me, that takes massive courage. Like people, you know, don't do that often. They do their even search and then they do the, the normal route. I just think that's massive courage and belief in yourself that you go the other side of the world to try and um, follow a dream. Yeah, I think like, I think growing up and stuff and like there was a lot say, going on at home and I had a lot of pain going on in my head. Mm. And I think, Sport for me was my escapism from all that. And to me, like, Jesus, to get out of America, I was getting out of home, I was getting out of Sands, I was getting out of Ireland, and I associated yeah. probably so much pain with all that. Yeah. And then that was like, this is my way out. Yeah. But like, your problems don't just go away. Yeah. Like, your problems follow you. Like, yeah. you know, and I, I didn't, I didn't yeah. know that. We'll go on to, obviously, the, the, what happens in, in, in America. But first of all, I'm just really interested in the whole college life. You, you arrive in America, so you arrive in JFK, and you're brought, it's Connecticut, wasn't it? Yeah. You're brought there. What's like your first night or your first couple of days there? What's it like? Um, are you are you studying while you're over there, or is it just most? I think most of the scholarships are study and, and sport. Is it or what happens for the first few weeks that you're there? What are you thinking? Yeah, so I I, I had to say SAT exams when I was here, mm. so I, I scored very highly in my maths. Um, I, I look, I wasn't great. I wasn't great in school, but I just I didn't apply myself because I just I knew what I wanted to do. But I loved maths and. I scored really highly, so I got a part academic and a part athletic scholarship in the end. Um, so I remember arriving in JFK and the coach uh, was there and I kind of I have vague memories of it, but I remember I got in late at night and he said, look, I'm going to bring you to your dorm, brought me down. And usually you're sharing, mm. but just because I came in late and I couldn't be registered, yeah. it was uh, I just had to stay on my own that night in a, a dorm. I remember just thinking like, this is it. Like I remember just thinking I've made it. <laughs> like I just thought... Like, I didn't, I didn't care. I probably didn't look at the bigger picture. Like, you're after leaving everyone at home. You have no mates over here. Yeah. You're in America. Like, you know no one. Like, you haven't a clue what's coming. But I was just thinking, oh, lads, I've made this. Like, yeah. and um, I just, I, I, like, I love football and I love playing football. But the, the passion that I, and the love that I had for basketball was just, I've never experienced that and like it. I just, I loved it. And to be out playing on a court, I just, I used to feel free and, I was over there and you had, had to go to college and I kind of didn't think it was a big a big thing that I had to go to the college and I remember like I think I was six weeks into the, the semester and the coach pulled me in and we were having team meetings and uh, he was like he was like he was usually really friendly with me and really like and he just walked in and he was, his face was just stone cold and he was uh, he said Mary you're failing all your classes and I was like no I'm passing like I need 40% to pass, like, yeah. and because it's 40% in Ireland. Yeah. He said, it's 60% over here. He said, you're not going to be able to play. And I was like, devastated. I was like, oh yeah. my God. And so I wasn't even going to class. I was just in the basketball all yeah. day because the hall, yeah. see, when you're over here, like to get an outdoor court nearly yeah. at the time was like gold yeah. dust. Yeah. And then you're over in America where you have an indoor court 24-7 and a weight room and everything. Yeah. And I was just, I didn't want to leave it. And uh, he said, you're barred. So I used to, I'll never forget, he used to put me, the, the court was there and said it was a, there was a room here with glass windows yeah. where you used to have your meetings and stuff. And um, I used to have to sit in, it was about four to six weeks, I had to sit in with the assistant coach and do study hall while they all trained. Yeah. And I used to have to sit there watching them and I was just going, oh my God. 
But I got my grades up anyway, and I, I, I suppose lesson learned. And yeah. Um, yeah, so I was only over there for maybe three months, and then the season finished. Yeah. We did actually very well the first year. I think we got into the, the conference tournament, and then I, 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 we, I think school finishes then, say kind of June-ish. Yeah. People head off, and then you come back over in in August, mm. and. Yeah, look, it was just it, I, I kind of experienced a little bit of party life because you're you're in season, say August, yeah. March, and like there's no deviation. Yeah. Like you don't drink, you don't go out. It's just head down. Yeah, and you're training twice a day. You're training in the morning, and you're training in the evening. And um, the rule over there, I think, at the time was you were allowed to train two days or whatever it was for thirteen days straight. On mm. the fourteenth day, you had to have a complete rest day. Mm. It was the it was the rule, and. Um, yeah, so then experienced a little bit of the kind of the party scene, um, and well, I wasn't really too interested in it though. Then I was just so like drink whatever it was, lads. I didn't. I just wanted yeah. sport. Yeah. And um, yeah, I came back then that August, and I had a bad injury then. Yeah. So I suppose that's probably um, the line for the next injury. I'm just baffled. I'd say at seventeen, eighteen, like you were, you're thirty. 33 Three now, now yeah. yeah. So that's, what, 15 years ago. Like, you were living a professional lifestyle, that, a bit like I'm living mm. in Australia now, but that's 15 years ago. I just think that's, you know, that's that's crazy, like, to think that you were doing that as a 17-year, 18-year-old. Yeah, it is. It's like you are living a professional, like, and, and, like, even, it's so professional, the college over there, everything to do, like, it's just, you have team vans, everything, you're, you're giving pocket money. It's like yeah. you're almost paid, but your pocket yeah. money is, yeah. is your thing. And it was like, you wake up, you go training, you go to you go get breakfast. You go to college. Yeah. You get a break. You go and get lunch. You go back to a few more classes, and then you're back in for your your yeah. second session. And then it's dinner, and then rest, and get to bed early, and repeat that. Yeah. And that's the that's what you do. Yeah. And so obviously you were loving your time over over there um, until you got your injury, and I suppose that's where your um, you can take me on from it. You can tell me about your injury, and 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 I suppose what happened the next couple of months after you had your injury. What was your injury, and how did it happen? Tell me about the day of it. Yeah, so I kind of probably had never really been injured up until now. I'd always uh, probably got away fairly lightly, like. And then we had gone over early, um, and there was a couple of us there on campus early, so we were doing just three on three in the gym one day, and I jumped up for a ball, and I remember coming. I'd worked really hard that summer. I'd said, like, I'd worked harder than ever before. And I came back, and I was just, I was raring to go. Jumped up for a ball, and I came down, and I remember my ankle landed on one of the girl's knees and I just felt it and then I hit the floor and it went the other way and I, I just knew straight away I was in trouble. They brought me down to the athletic trainer which was downstairs and I was straight in for surgery um, and then came out of surgery, had to have a reconstruction done then on my leg and my ankle and um, yeah, I think in total I think I was nearly 18 months gone like I'd had the second surgery was used like I was even laid up, I remember being laid up in the, the dorm room um, for I think it was 10 days, I couldn't even get out of bed because it was, uh, I had to just stay in position. But I ended up getting surgery in Yale University in the end off a, a surgeon over there. I remember seeing the bill for the thing, it was like 150,000 or something for the surgery, but like all insurance, everything was covered yeah. obviously with the school, but I, it was just, it's just a different world. And yeah, that's the first time I'd ever been like, right, your, your crutch is gone. Yeah. And it's got, it was gone for a while now. If you're saying you're laid up for eighteen months, are you in America for all that all yeah. that time? 
So you've now um, been relying on basketball and, and even sport before that, you know, before you, you fell in, you're in love with basketball. You, that was always your crutch and then it's it's wiped away from you. Yeah. So, so tell us what happens next and, and the, kind of the next 18 months that while you're over there. Yeah, like I, like, I remember just being like, right, look, it was only something small. I thought it was like, look, we'll get back quick. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, look, there's, there's a bigger issue here. And... You know when someone you kind of have a start and an end goal and it's like grand, but like you get to the top of the mountain and then someone yeah. throws you back down. It's yeah. just devastating. And I'd never not had that before. And you're just set all day in your own head. And I think when like when your sport's gone or whatever it's gone, like like sometimes your own head is the most dangerous place to be at times. And I remember that's the first time I ever experienced and what I know today is like a depression. Yeah. And I just remember like just been waking up constantly and just not wanting to be here and thinking, oh my God, my life is over. And But the coach said to me, he said, Mary, look, I, I, I like, I'm not sending you home. I want you to stay until you get better and we'll pay your fees and we'll pay everything you need to. And so like, he could have sent me home like that, yeah. but for, he kept me for 18 months. And um, I remember after the first, not after the first surgery, it was after the reconstruction. I just remember getting, um, coming out of surgery and I just remember the, like the anesthetic and everything was, was wearing off and, they'd given me like just loads of medication and I just remember taking it and I just never felt that and like it like because my head was just always it was like a washing machine head mm. I'd describe it as yeah. it was just always constantly going and like all that just disappeared and it was just numbness and like I always say my addiction took off from there because I know myself it did now saying that like when I was say 15 I'd fell out of sport like you as well mm. for a reason and only for a coach pulled me back in. But I had gone and I tried it, tried dabbling drugs, dabbling drink, and, and that wasn't me. And only for someone pulled me back in and said, no, that's not you. So I'd never really, mm-hmm. never really touched it. And um, yeah, that numbness, I just, I chased it. And then I remember even like making excuses that I was in more pain than I was and saying, oh, geez, no, I need more of this. And going to another doctor thinking like, you have to pretend here that you're in a lot yeah. more pain than you are just to get more mm-hmm. more medication. And um, was it just because you, of the feeling that you were getting from it? Because yeah. your head was clear? Mm. Yeah. It's this feeling of like something I probably never felt before. It was yeah. like, you just felt like I belonged and everything yeah. just felt okay and like yeah. that I was loved. And yeah. it was just this feeling of acceptance. And I never had that. I struggled my whole life to fit in because I was always a tomboy and I wanted, no, I wasn't with the other girls and doing my own thing. And I just, that feeling of just acceptance, I got from that, I was just like this... I didn't know it existed. Yeah. And uh, I, all I knew was the washing machine head that I had. And uh, yeah, I chased that then. And like, even I stayed there for another three and a half years, like, and I actually ended up coming back. And I was just after experiencing this numbness and knowing that it wasn't here. Yeah. And then, right, having to wean off. It was Oxycontin. Um, yeah. But I had to wean off. And I remember it was just, it was horrendous. Like, and I was only back training again. And uh, we were actually in the weight room. The following, it was two. It would have been two years later, and uh, I was paired up with a freshman, and uh, we were bench pressing. And I would have like I had this thing in my head when I was a kid that like before I went to bed every night I had to get down and do as many push ups as I can. And it used to drive me mad that the lads used to do lads push ups and girls were told go on your knees. <laughs> so I'd be like, no, do you know what? I'm going to learn how to yeah. do lads push ups. So I I had I had good strength, and we were we were maxing out on the bench press one day and I was paired with a freshman and she put an extra 20 pounds at the time on mm. one side. But like when you're maxing out 20 pounds, it was loads. And came down, went to press and I went to press, my shoulder popped. And my thinking at the time like was, lovely, I'm going to get more drugs here. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I wasn't like, 
the dream had, had just been squashed, like, but I probably hadn't seen it been squashed. Yeah. But my thinking had changed to, right, I'm getting more tablets here. So you recovered from your, your serious leg injury, went yeah. back playing? After 18 months, yeah. yeah. But at still time had this addiction. And then like that, as you said, your shoulder popped, you can get more tablets and, yeah. and, and, and I, still I started go. drinking then. You start, yeah. Yeah, see, I, after, the, after the first surgery then, I got the numb feeling from the drinking. Yeah. And then I was, I was over there and sure, like, when you had, say, basketball season, yeah. baseball season was, was it, they, they, all the seasons kind of yeah. counteracted each other. So when the girls were in season, I could have been at a baseball party yeah. or yeah. I could have been anywhere yeah. else. And yeah, I got the numbness then from the bit of drinking. And, and had you drank before? Like, you know, obviously uh, we've a, uh, there's a bit of a culture. When I was growing up in Ireland of, of binge drinking and, and doing all that, had you like, as if before you went to America as a 15, 16, 17 year old, was that a thing? Was that a thing in Kildare that you go out with your mates and drink? Or was it, you were really only introduced to it when you went to America? Yeah, no, I, I, I remember the first time I ever drank, I was 12, I was at a party and I said, oh, come on, we have this bottle of champagne. I think it was for the millennium or something. And uh, drank the bottle of champagne. I remember puking everywhere. And I was just thinking to myself, like, I like I don't know why people do this. Mm. I was like, it tastes disgusting. Like, I said, I'd seen the devastation that alcoholism had caused in the family. And I was like, no, no interest in it. So I didn't really touch anything then until much later on. I would have touched the painkillers and all yeah. first. Yeah. Discovered what had been going on. Had When I was 15 and I stepped away... I dabbled only for maybe a couple yeah. of months, yeah. but like that was it really. And then from, so say I was 17, I would have been 19, 19 till I was 30, yeah. And did you, was it that you went on the alcohol and, and not the tablets because the alcohol was easy to get? Mm. And obviously you needed prescription to get the tablets or whatever it was. Was that was that the reason or were you still dabbling in both? I just wanted that to get me on my yeah. own head. Yeah. yeah, because like obviously drink gives you a different effect than different certain tablets would, yeah. than other drugs would yeah. and... I just, I was mixing and I was just, I just wanted to be out of my own head. And and how did you manage to, to still be playing basketball over there? How were like, when you, this is all going on, were you putting on a mask to say I'm fine, but inside, I know if I, if I have a night out, I'm dying the next day and I can't train. Like, how are you managing to keep everything afloat over there? Yeah, like, I don't, I don't know. Like, people say, how did you play? Like, yeah. or even say when you're, how did you play in 2016? And like... It's just, it's almost like you're trying for people not to know what yeah. you were at last night. Yeah. So you're almost trying extra hard and concentrating more that yeah. you nearly play better than you would yeah. have. That's, Do you know what that makes sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I've often, you know, when I was younger, went to a club game and you live a night out before and, and, and you're you're a bit hungover and you're like, oh God, I, ha I have to really concentrate here and now, tr and now try hard because, yeah, yeah I, I know exactly it makes sense. But that's fine. I might be able to do that once, but to, be, to do that for, for months on end, I think, you know, that's... That's remarkable that you're mm. in some way able to do it and, and you know, stay relatively injury free after your serious injury. Um, you know, that's I, I, th I think that's mad. But we, we, we'll move on to it, I suppose. Your, your time in America comes. What, why do you why do you why do you leave America? I, I, I think I've read that you had to go home. Your sister's at home. Um, I, I don't want to push into it. I know your mom had an your mom had an addiction as well. So if you want to tell us why you left Connecticut um, to go back to, to back to Kildare. Yeah, so I came home then the, that summer and I was due to go back. So that would have been maybe the, the June and I was due to go back then the August. Mm. And now in the middle of the summer, there, there was a, a coaching change as well. Um, so my coach who, and you know yourself, when you build a relationship with a coach, it's like you really trust that person and... I was devastated then that, that he left, but I was due to go back then in the August and I came home and 
Um, my little sister was at home. She was living with my mum. And at the time, my mum was going through a really bad patch. And like, even when I was over in the States, I remember getting a couple of phone calls and my sister would be ringing me saying, oh, will you come home? And I used to just feel so guilty. Like, I'd be like, how can I leave her here, like there? But when I came home then and I kind of had seen, I suppose, what was going on. And I said, you know, like, I can't, I can't really go, go back. Mm-hmm. And I said, maybe I'll take a year at home, try and get things right. And I'll yeah. go back the following year. Um, that was the plan. And uh, and I wouldn't change it for the world. I love my little sister. She's my world. Like and um, I I fell into then I fell into the the going to the pub there on a Friday. I would go down tomorrow night. And I would make over a cure. And yeah. All of a sudden you're in a small village and and the pub is is the social aspect, the social point of everything. And yeah, I just I chased again. Was just looking for looking yeah. for that numbness, yeah. Yeah. So your your Friday or Saturday night drinking spills over into a Sunday and maybe a Monday, and then you go earlier on on the weekend. You might hit it Thursday, so it didn't become a yeah. And then sure, I'm living then with a few friends, and yeah. sure you're drinking. Like I remember, we were in a house, me and a couple of mates, and like you might not, we might not have even been out, but the pub came back because that's where the parties always yeah. were. Yeah. And it was just, it was always just, yeah. it was always just madness. It was a like, vicious circle and it, yeah. it was very hard to go out of the vicious circle. I, I read in in an article as well, there was during that time when you came home that you never really stayed in one place too often, that you always moved to a house a little bit. Or, mm. why, why was that? I was always running and I always like, I always thought I was running towards someone or something. Yeah. And I that was always my thinking. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was in recovery maybe a year and a man came up to me and he said, you're not running towards that and you're running away from yourself. Mm. And you know, we have one of those moments where like a light bulb just goes. And for me, like, that's what it was. I was just, I was running away from myself, running away from feelings, emotions, hated myself deep down, didn't know who I was. Mm. Um, and I could never deal with things. Like I couldn't, I drank and I drove to escape reality. I couldn't mm. live. Mm. Just this normal, simple thing. So I'd be in a place and things would get to the point of crisis and, I remember houses getting red and everything and you'd have to get out of there yeah. and it'd be right move on start fresh same problems but they just get worse and worse uh, we'll start fresh you move on and it was just it was a vicious circle it's just constantly running yeah until the point where it just crashed you couldn't run anymore no yeah and i also read in that article i loved it. you're the master of uh, you're master of a hydra you could hide things all the time mm. I'd, I'd all say like i had so many different masks for say different groups of people yeah. i was with and that one mask, who you truly are, like, I didn't, I didn't, I never showed that. I didn't know who, who it was. And I, I love that quote. Like, I think it's the, the Japanese say you have three masks. You have yeah. one that you show the world, one you show your closest friends, and then the one who you tr- show yourself, that yeah. one person who you truly are. And I had about, I had seven or eight different masks, like, and it was just, I used to love it all then at the time because I'd go out to it with you on a Friday and then on a Saturday I'd say, geez, I haven't seen you in ages. Come on, we go for a pint. And then on the Sunday you go to someone else and, People said, yes, I haven't seen you in a while. How are you keeping? But sure, you're after me now every, keeping everyone happy. Do you yeah. know that kind of way? But like mentally, that's, it's draining. Yeah. It's absolutely draining. Like, and then there's, there's so much lies then because you're trying to, you're trying to keep everyone happy and trying to track yourself and you're manipulating and it's just a, it's just a weave of lies and. Do the lies eventually catch up with you? Oh my God, yeah. Yeah. And you know, like I, I never realised only now that I live free and I live free because I live an honest day. Yeah. Oh my God, when I go to bed at night time, the head is down and it's gone. Yeah. And to be able to have a bit of peace of mind and put your pillow, your head in the pillow at night and say, you know what, I did the best I could today. Oh my God. And you're back now in Kildare and you're, you're doing your three or four or five days in a row drinking every week. Um, when, when do you go back playing sport or how do you get back involved in sport when you come back home from, from America? 
I got into, um, I actually, a, a friend from basketball texted me. She said, oh, look, there's a new gym after open. Do you want to jump in there? And I said, look, I'm only back from injury. She said, no, they'll cater for it. Mm. And it was kind of like CrossFit style training. Yeah. And it was only after coming in at the time. Yeah. And so I went back there and I said, I ended up loving it. So I kind of, I eased off a little bit yeah. on, the, on the drinking and stuff. And I was training and then I said, you know, geez, I, I feeling good. I get back into Kildare. So I got it back in the panel in 2011. I hadn't played since I was underage. And, um... Yeah, I was back. We were in Division 1 at the time and we were flying and there was... I remember playing with the likes of Tracy Noon, Brianna Lee, girls I really looked up to and I just... I loved it. And so I eased off a little while and then... Um, I don't know what stage or, or where it went so wrong again, but I was just back in the hole then of just out drinking and then hiding it more. And yeah. I was living on my own then. I, got, I, got, I was living in a car then and it was just... Everything just fell apart. And tell, tell us that, I actually read that as well, about you living in a car and that you used to go to training just before training to have a shower and you thought that was that was the normal done thing. You yeah. weren't bothered by it. And then I think it was one of your team managers kind of realised and, and gave you a, a house to stay in and you said you had a mattress, no electricity and you had a, a fire that you used to put on. Tell us about that period. You that, that became normal for you. You didn't, think, you didn't look at it like, oh, this is not the right thing to be doing. No, like, and I think... Um I think at the time, like, when I think of addiction, like, I think, as I say, like, the abnormal became the normal. Like, you, like when I look back and I kind of, it's different when you're looking back on yourself because I, I just, I would be hard on myself and I'd have a standard and I'd say, look, you have to achieve this today. And I just, I'm driven. But I think someone, sometimes if I look at what happened to another person, I'm just like, Jesus Christ, like, what were you at? Like, mm. But I didn't see, didn't see anything wrong with it. And I was, I, built, I started a little business in, uh, PT at the time I was over in Lisa in a gym over there and then I, I went out on my own and I had a little gym and but like I don't know it was the pressure of just what people would think of me or what it was but like I was working in the gym but like during the day I was doing everything and going into the classes then and going and hiding all this and I ended up spending all my money just on, on drinking drugs and and I I ended up not having anywhere to live. Um, I was staying on my brother's couch, I think, for a couple of months. He was he was very good to me. And then, even at the time, I remember, if he had an own, like, I remember at the time just saying to him, oh, no, I got somewhere to live yeah. on grand. But, like, I just didn't want to put him out, like. Yeah. And, and he's been so good to me. And um, so I ended up sleeping. I actually slept in my gym one night. And I remember saying, I hate the cold. I remember just being like, oh, my God, I've never been so cold in my life. But I was kind of making money doing the classes. I'm sure yeah. I so wound up going into yeah. the classes. I was deadly, like. Yeah. And uh, I said, no, I'm sleeping in the car for now. So I used to go in and fill into the garage and fill the car up with, with, with juice. And I'd sleep in it then. And Bales, my dog, used to be in the back. He'd be sleeping on the back seat. And um, But I just I didn't see any, any, anything wrong with it. And my manager at the time, I remember ringing, he rang me and he was just in 2016. And we played, I played the first game against Clare in the league and... We had we were having trouble with a goalkeeper, and he was and I was asked the previous year. I was just coming back from the injury, and the manager had said to me, "Oh, you used to play basketball." I was on the sideline, and he said to me, "Will you jump in goals for the last twenty minutes or something?" Mm-hmm. I remember going in, and we were playing Leisha out in Bally. Um, it was out in uh, I think out near Monster Evan, and uh, I remember saving two penalties, and I was like, "It was the worst thing I ever did," <laughs> because. <laughs> I, I was I was stuck there then, and yeah. I, I went in to save the penalty. And then my manager in 2016 said, "I heard you're you're yeah. writing goals. Will you just go in goals yeah. for one game for me?" I said, "No, no way." And then he rang me and he said, "Look, 
it was a story like are you where are you living or have you mm. somewhere to live or was like there was duvets and pillows mm. in the car and I was going training and Bailey come training with me and I was just getting on with things and um, but like when I think like even I know I'm veering off now but like now that I'm training and stuff like when I was thinking back then like I'd like like it was like it was life was so miserable like and I had all this big secret going on when I went onto the pitch then it was just like you just were free and you were nearly playing better than ever before. It took me, it's taken me a long time to readjust to say like, okay, life is good here, but life can be good here as well. Do you know that kind yeah. of, the balance of it? Anyway, Alan rang me and uh, he was, uh, he, he said, look, meet me here. And he, he, he got me uh, sorted with, a, with a, uh, a house and it was run down at the time. It was derelict and uh, he was like, look, we'll get this done up for you and we'll move you in. And I, I said like, when can I move in? And I moved in that night and he, that man was so good to me. Like I owe him so much. Like he went and got a mattress for me and, Bailey Bricketts and he sorted me out and I remember that night like me and Bailey were there and I remember just having enough cans to get me out and we had to fall asleep that night and thinking do you know what like Jez I've made it now yeah she's I'm in a house now you know there was smashed windows there was mice everywhere there was pop the copper pipes were lifted from from people coming in and robbing everything yeah. and I was thinking in my own head do you know what this is it lads yeah it was like the same feeling I got in America but like the difference of what addiction where it'll bring you like yeah and it's interesting I was only um, doing a, th a thing for the GPA there about two weeks ago and Niall McNamee from Offaly was talking and obviously he had an addiction with gambling mm -hmm. and he spoke about going to training and that hour and a half that he trained was the only time that he felt that his head was clear yeah um, it's like when he put on his football boots he was fine and the, the minute he came back and take them off it was like his world was you know gone wrong again but that an hour and a half you know gave him that freedom just exactly like you're talking so obviously it's that sport for that hour and a half gives people with addiction that freedom yeah like and I, I used to try like, do you know when you try and think like I, really about it but like sport kept me present mm. and I used to be so caught up in my own thinking in, in the past in the future like I'd be depressed I'd be anxious I suffered awful with my head mm. but like when I was on the, on the pitch I was I was present like, if you're not present, you're going to get a ball in the face. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's the way it is. And even say, do you know when people are like, geez, I don't understand how, say, they lost a family member and they're going playing a match tonight yeah. or they're after having a baby and they're out playing. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. Because it takes you out of your head and you can just be at peace. And yeah. I think if your head's in any way at you or, like I said, the washing machine head, like, when you can get that little bit of silence between your ears, it's, yeah. it's gold. Yeah. And it's interesting, we'll talk about 2016. Like, I was... Ladies All-Star and Goalkeeper 2016. Like, that to me is just amazing. Intermediate All-Ireland winner, obviously, that same year. Um, I think player of the match in the final. Um, but this is all in the height of your addiction. Um, as I said, I was reading a couple of articles on you and, and listening to a couple of things. And I was reading about the night before the All-Ireland final in 2016. And I think you said you had eight cans and you went to bed at 11, woke two hours later and you couldn't sleep for the rest of the night. This is... This to sports people, the biggest night of your career. Mm. And this is what has happened to you. I suppose, take me through that couple of hours before the All-Ireland or the, the night before the All-Ireland. Yeah, so then, like, uh, go back for one sec. So then, I, Alan got me a house and he'd asked me to go on goals. So I ended yeah. up going on goals then. So I was stuck in there. But yeah. then I kind of said, do you know what, Chase, this is great. So I can go out and go mad and all I have to do is stand up between the posts now. <laughs> Now, I'm not putting goalkeepers yeah, down, but like, exactly, for me, yeah. it wasn't it's you had to go. A, yeah, physically. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It was yeah. like, right, you just have to concentrate. Yeah. And so I was, it was like, this is this is unbelievable. And the night of the All-Ireland then, it was the Friday. We, I think, actually, Christy Moore played for us in Connellis Park in a, like, a secret gig on the Friday yeah. night. I remember going home and I went mad, I went kind of, like, I went mad that night. I think I went out. 
And I woke up on the Saturday and I remember saying, right, you can't. Don't go too mad tonight. Like, yeah. But this is my preparation. Like, and it's mental when I talk about it like, now. Because um, now I'm in bed at 7 o'clock saying, Jesus, do you know, have you got your magnesium? Are you ready? <laughs> like, have you got your nine hours sleep? Now I'm psycho about things. Like, But I was like, right, don't don't go too hard tonight. I said, I won't take anything else. I'll just have, I'll have a few cans. I won't go on anything hard. Hmm. And... I actually remember I bought Copperberg and I wouldn't even drink that. Yeah. Like I wouldn't even, I remember just saying I'll go easy. I remember I got egg cans and I started drinking early that, that day, I think in the afternoon and I was trying to just get through the day because obviously I, I don't know Ireland tomorrow for sure. I think I ended up going out in the afternoon and came back then that evening and I remember I drank seven, seven of them and then I said, look, that'll be enough to get me to sleep yeah. and I fell asleep and I woke up then about 11, yeah, I woke up then about one and I was like starting to sober up and I was like that for me that was always the worst place I could be when yeah. I started coming around and I was like the fear of Jesus I need something mm-hmm. and um, all I had was one, one can like and uh, I actually had been in I'd actually been in Easton's that day in, in Newbridge in town and I don't know why but I was walking by Easton's and there was a book I'd seen and it was, you know, Alan O'Mara, Alan O'Mara? Yeah, the Cavan yeah, yeah, footballer. So I, I, for some reason, picked up that book. I don't know why, right? And so that was, I had that there and I said, I hadn't read a book since I was probably in college, like. Yeah. And uh, this is one o'clock tonight for the All-Ireland and I, I picked up the book and I started reading and just another light bulb moment and Alan talked, I remember, in the book he talks about his depression. I said, that's all that's wrong with me. I said, I'm a bit depressed, lads. Sure, Jesus, I like... That's it. That's all that's yeah. wrong in my head. I, at the time, I probably thought I had a mental illness because yeah. I was nearly like waiting to go to a doctor and the doctor saying, this is what's wrong with you. Yeah. You have some big illness. I didn't know I was an alcoholic or an addict. Like, And I read that book from front cover to back cover. And it took me hours. And I remember then it was about six or seven. So I was just, I remember trying to make the last can last so much. <laughs> and daily at the time was a puppy. And I had, uh, I said, I may get my gear bag ready. And I, got out a few bits and I left it in the hallway and went down to get a shower and I came back up and Bailey was after taking the gloves out of the bag and he was sitting out in the front lawn eating them and these you know like you know yeah. I have kind of superstitions about things my gloves were don't touch the gloves yeah. like especially for a keeper like and so I went out and the gloves were half chewed like and uh, I got collected then about an hour later but at this stage I was no I was starting sober up I was rattling and uh, but in my own head thinking sure that's all that's wrong with you do you know, I didn't didn't really know. And remember, we went to, I think we went to a, a church or something that morning, or just a priest came in or yeah. something for a little bit yeah, of a yeah. prayer. And the typical. Yeah, I don't even remember that morning. Yeah. I, haven't, I actually haven't a clue. All I remember then is the next memory I have is me just standing in Crow Park going, oh my God, what is going on here? Yeah. And winning an All-Star that year. What was the next few months after that, that All-Ireland like for you? Because, you know... Typically, winning All Ireland, the big thing is go out, celebrate, and and you know go 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 hard for the next couple of months. And yeah. what what was the next couple of months like for you? I know you, you spoke about Bailey, and Bailey's your your dog. But um, I also read that you know one day you brought Bailey for a walk um, to the car, and you met a man. Tell us the story around that. Yeah, so like celebrations obviously were were, were they went on for months. Like, and sure, I wasn't buying a drink in the county for a few weeks. Like, yeah. and. It, like, sure I just loved it but then even like thinking back then like say we were due to go out whatever time we were heading out one o'clock the following day or whatever it was for, for the week and I'd be still at home having to have something before I went out yeah. do you know what I mean when I think back or like I'd go out and I'd have to have something in my bag I couldn't just go out and be normal and drink normal like like everyone else it was just it was constant like and 
Yeah, that was that was right true. I'm sure everyone just wanted you. I say yes to everyone. Couldn't say no to anyone and pulling and dragging now. Yeah, and sure. I was getting more anxious then because I had to be around more people. And all I wanted to do was go into a pub in the middle of nowhere where no one knew me with no signal and sit there back in horses and drinking pints for the day. Mm. That's That was yeah. all I wanted to do. And yeah, my mental health was just, it was getting worse and worse. And I just, I think for a long time I had thoughts in my own head though like that. I didn't want to be here. And it wasn't something that just came up like that. Yeah. And I had it like... I remember, like I said to you, that first time I got injured, and I remember being in that dorm room and saying, Jesus, I, now I know what it is. It was depression. Mm -hmm. But I remember that, them dark thoughts in my head thinking, Jesus, this is not normal. Like, And I hadn't spoke from, say, when I was a kid, right through till I was 28, about anything that went on in my life. Mm -hmm. Nothing. So everything was just bottled up. And just this day, I like I woke up and I said, that's today, is it? That's it. I've had enough now. And for so long, Bales was, was there and... I'd wake up and I'd say, no, nah, can't be today. Who's going to mind you? Like That was the only thing that was keeping me going was thinking I had to mind him. Yeah. Because... Like, and I suppose just for everyone else, this is suicidal thoughts yeah. at this stage, that you're having them oh, for a year. dark thoughts, And yeah. you're thinking to yourself, today is the day and you're going to bring the dog for a walk. And yeah. you, you met, you, you can tell the story, you met some guy and... Yeah, I went down for a walk in the car and I just said, no, look, I'll bring Bales for his last walk. I went down in the car, did the loop we always loop. I live right beside the car, so you walk out and take a right and it's just like two minutes down the road. And um, came back and I just met an old man and he just, I used to put my head down and I used to have like F off written across my forehead. Like I just didn't want to talk to anyone. And he just came over and he said to me, geez, he had a little Jack Russell and he was just like, that's, that's a beautiful dog you have. And I was just like, oh, thanks. And I think... I was so used to pain and misery and being hard on myself. Like, do you ever hear the quote that even the most stubborn mule will react to gentleness? Yeah. And, like, I was the mule and this man was so kind. Yeah. And to me, it was just like, wow. And I, my thinking just changed. And I just said, you know what, today is not today. And I was walking back up the road to my house and I said, geez, I wonder if I stop drinking, will something kind of get fixed in my head? I said, geez, maybe it is to drink. Didn't think I, like, yeah. like at this stage, I'm a chronic alcoholic yeah. and addict, like, and thinking in my own head, just maybe I might have a bit of ease off the drink of my help. And I came back up to the house and I decided that day that I was going to ring someone and ask for a bit of help. And I knew who was ringing and I knew what I was doing. And it took me seven hours just to pick the phone up and press call and say, do you know what, uh, I need you to help me to stop drinking. And I did that and I remember it was the exact same on the other side of the phone was the kindness and gentleness that that man had shown me in the car was what the other man had shown me and he collected me that night and he, and he my recovery took off from there. He brought me brought me to a meeting and my recovery took off from that night, yeah. So that that's 2017? That's 2017, yeah. yeah. So your recovery took, we would say we bumps, hit, hit bumps along the way like any, I'm sure any recovery does. You relapsed a couple of times. How yeah. did the next kind of couple of years go? Um, I know um, you had a bit of a run in with the law and, and, and lost your license. T to explain the next kind of couple of months or a year for you. Yeah, I, um, I think like the worst place, like people say, well, where's the worst place you've ever been in your life? I think it was in early recovery when I had no crutch, no drink, no drugs, nothing. And it's like, right, you're start starting to sober up proper now. Yeah. And I was given tablets and stuff to try and help that, but like you're left with yourself. And it's just you looking at you in the mirror. And now I mean, I hated myself at the time. Yeah. And like that to me is, if you paid me all the money in the world, I would not go back there. Yeah. I just, I wouldn't. And so that was painful. And that was really tough. And I'd never, I'd never been in that position 
ever like and I relapsed straight away and I relapsed for uh, I try to get, get a week yeah. I get a couple of days and and sure then I started on benzos and this and that because you can people can smell the drink yeah. off you but then there's more lies and I'll take yeah. some more tablets and so it was like no matter what it was it was like something just to this secret that I had going yeah. on like so I was just I, I was addicted to everything and um, yeah 2020 I was so that was I was two and a half years in recovery like at, like relapse and relapse and doing time, my yeah. own thing yeah. not doing the suggested things yeah. that are there and yeah. then I um, I ended right back up where I was that day in the car when I met that, met that man and I said no nah, I don't want to be here anymore mm. and I don't know did I just sit myself down and say like what are you at here and it was just one of those moments where I said what are you going to do like you want to start taking responsibility of your own life yeah. or are you just going to keep ending up in this you're going to end up in a grave soon yeah. and I said look everything has to change and I reached out I asked a different person for the right help I tried to get into treatment at the time I couldn't at the time I got into a day care service there as well in Newbridge and um, I started doing everything that was suggested which I hadn't done before yeah. because I was so stubborn like Cora I wouldn't ask for help for anyone and it was you tell me how something's done and I said no I'm going to yeah. do it my way yeah. do you know what I mean like and yeah. I just like, I did nothing that was suggested. So I started doing the right thing. And slowly but surely, things started to change. And I think the biggest thing was probably I got honest with myself. And I'd never done that before. Was and, that hard? Yeah. And, like, it didn't come naturally. Yeah. So, uh, and, like, someone said to me, look, if you if you find yourself, like, because it was just so natural for me to, you'd yeah. ask me something, I'd say, something could be 450, and I'd tell you, oh, that was 350. Yeah. Just for no no reason, like... And so little habits like that, like, and someone said to me, look, when you find yourself doing it, don't let yourself get away with it. Pull yourself up. And so I go back and say, Cora, you know what? That actually wasn't 450. That was 350. Yeah. Yeah. And then I started to, to learn how to just be completely honest. And that was huge. Um, and I stayed consistent because I used to start things and then not finish them. And I was so inconsistent with things. Um, but with my recovery, it's been just since the 15th of October, 2020, I've I've done everything right and uh, yeah, look, my life's just changed completely. Like. So have you touched substance or, or alcohol since since then? No, I, I can't even touch so much as no. a painkiller. Like yeah. I don't even, I, I take a paracetamol and extra two litre of water if I have a headache. Like that's, that's it. Like, and even say with my injury at the minute, like I, I couldn't take anything for yeah. it. Like, so it's not anything mind, mind or mood altering whatsoever. Just I don't touch it. Like. And how, what, what have you done in the last, that's what, how long are you sober now? Um, I think I'm, I think I'm 600 days and three days because yeah. I was, I have a little app on my phone. Yeah, of course. But I do, because yeah. every morning I said, you know, I'm just, I'm proud of myself yeah. for doing it because but I never, like, like that. And I got my license last year and I was proud of myself for doing that yeah. because for so long, like, I arsed around in cars and I crashed so many cars. Yeah. And I, I drank, drove and I just, I did so many wrong things, like, and I lost my license twice and still didn't think anything wrong with it, like. Yeah, and, but did them um, milestones are, are bigger than anything that you'll ever do in sport or win oh. in sport. They're massive, you yeah. know, so so they should be celebrated. So to be nearly 600 days sober, like, it must be massive. What, what do you have to do every day, like, of every day of the year to, to keep yourself like that? Do you, do you attend meetings or do you, do you attend counselling? Or what, what like, it, it doesn't just, I presume you don't just stop and it's easy. Like, I presume oh. every day you have to work it on yourself. Yeah, because I thought like, I think I thought like, you know, when recovery, like someone fixes you and off yeah. you go, I'll see you later. Yeah. And it's not like that. Like, yeah, it's not something that you, that's going to be fixed. It's something just like, like I learned to accept it and say, right, look, mm. I just need to manage it. Mm. And, um, 
I like I do say some mornings I can wake up and my head can be at me and it like nothing could have changed. I could have mm. done all the ticked all the boxes. All the non negotiables could have been done, but I wake up the next morning and my head's at me and it's a choice now I have that I know I have the tools if I if I want to get mm. right. Mm. Um or if I let let my demons chase me, that's that's up to me. Mm. And um because some days they still are there. Mm. And especially with the injury I had this year, like I, I think it was like I struggled, but uh I have the tools today and I know what I need to do. For me, it's first is pick up the phone mm-hmm. um, and I ring someone. I find great peace in meditation and I used to think that was for people that just like <laughs> cross their legs and sit there and do yoga and all this crack, man. But I'm telling you, yeah. the peace I get between my ears doing a bit of meditation yeah. is, it's it's unreal. Like it's, because we all have that peace within us. Yeah. It's um it's just about, just about finding it. And um, I meditate. Um, I train in my gym. Yeah. I train there. Um, I have a great group of friends and we train there every day. Uh, I walk bales. That's a, mm. another thing. Yeah. There are all the boxes I have to tick. Yeah. Um, make sure I eat healthy. Make sure I'm hydrated mm. and sleep is huge as well. Like mm. I find if I don't, if I'm lacking sleep or if I don't get great sleep, I um I can my head can take off. Um, I attend meetings. I attend counselling. I know every Wednesday I do head into Dublin there and mm. uh, I have a counsellor go every Wednesday, and I haven't missed I haven't missed one session with him. I was in hospital last year. I missed one session, but I zoomed him. Mm. But like I'll still do that for. I don't know how long because yeah. I do look forward to it. Yeah. Now some days are tougher than others, but um, I came out there today like just feeling mighty. Whereas last week I came out and I was like, Jesus, I need to go to bed for an hour. Yeah. So there are all the boxes I need to tick, but like again, it's my choice whether I do it or not. Now yeah. today, you know. And is is it all to try and like exercise demons that you've had in the past that you've never spoken about? Or mm. you know, you you spoke about you knew years ago your head wasn't right. You know, you've yeah. obviously had a tough enough upbringing. Is it? You know, um, we spoke off here. I, I know when I wrote my book and, you know, that's the first time in 20 years I'd have spoke about my mother. When my mother died, as a family, I've there's eight of us in it and, and my dad, but she died and was like, move on. We don't yeah. ever talk about it. We're not talking about our feelings or everything. And the first, like I wrote my book four or five years ago. So I was 34 maybe at the time. And, the, and my mom died when I was 16. That was the first time... I ever like spoke about it and I got an emotional with a person that I barely knew. Yeah. So like that's bottled up for twenty years. I can imagine like if you have demons and other things and you seem to be a bit similar to me that you hold a lot of stuff in. Is it now that they're only all coming out and that you can speak about them? Where I'm sure that you wish fifteen twenty years ago they could have done that and things mightn't have been the way they are. Yeah, because I do often think like, geez, what if you had done this would have been different, or what if? Mm. And I think the main thing, like, if I had a spoke or I had a talk to someone mm. and said, look, can I talk to you about this or this happened or, like, I think I need a bit of help with this or, like, I think that would have changed a lot for me because, like, like you, I bottle in and, and, and what I've learned, I think, and why I, I don't mind being so open about talking about things is, like, when you're vulnerable, like, like, the connection you get with someone else can be, it can be very trusting and it can often help them in a way more so than it'll help you because... When I started talking about my recovery, like, and it started off by me throwing up a post saying, geez, I'm six months over. And I thought I was deadly, like, I was like, I'm flying, like, but next of all, it took off. And so my whole recovery has been highlighted, like, and it was, I was very vulnerable. And at times I, I found it very hard and I'd be thinking, Jesus, can I do this? But like, when I go to schools now and I talk, the first thing I say to the kids is, like, I try and leave them with a couple of points at the end. And I say, the first thing I want you to do is to, anything that comes in that don't let it fester, like, get it out, mm. get it out straight away. And, when I started speaking, when I came into recovery, I was 28 and I just couldn't, I couldn't actually say something out loud. I had to write things down. And I remember like 
had a sponsor at the time and I just, I had to, I had to, phys he had to physically write it for me because I couldn't, I couldn't even say out loud things that I needed to talk about. But then you start, you open the book a little bit and then you turn another page and you keep turning and like, you can't shut me up now, but like, Antina comes in now, like I got rid of it, all the skeletons. Mm. I do say it now, Antina comes in. I just, I, I get it out straight away yeah. because like one of the greatest things I was ever told is you have a head some days that's going to lie to you yeah. and, and understand that. And a problem shared is a problem to have. So like sometimes just by picking the phone up and sharing it with another person, you can make a bit more sense of it because your head will do an awful job on you. So like, I think that's been the key for me in, in, in recovery is, yeah. is to be so open and, and, and to be honest and like that. If Anton comes in, Get rid of it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you um, done um, an interview on the Late Late Show, and that obviously had huge traction. Like Anton, you know, it does on on, on that. Um, you know, had you people reach out to you after that? Um, you know, I'm sure there's people are in that situation now as we speak. You know, they're going through exactly what what you've done. Have you people reach out to you, and do you help people? Are you still at a stage where you have to just look after yourself? Yeah, to like. I do have to be very careful, like, and again, I'm not qualified, so if someone does reach out to me, I'll say, well, look, yeah. here, I'll pass on information to them or that, yeah. and just, I, I can't give guidance, I'm, yeah. I'm not qualified to do so, but, like, I didn't see a way out at mm. all. When I think back of where I was, especially that day I went for that walk in 2016, for me, like, to, if you had told me that I was going to have the life I have today, like, I was just, it was pure darkness, and there wasn't even the smallest bit of light. And when someone reaches out to me, I can I, I can go right back there that day and I know exactly how it feels. And if you can give a person the smallest little bit of hope, um, and that's why I do talk or when they lay, lay around me, so I don't mind going on, I'll chat away. Like, and nothing, nothing does make me, I don't get too nervous doing that because I do think, you know what, if you're helping one person, it, it's worthwhile because if you can give one person a little bit of hope that life can be different or just because where you are today, it's not where you're always going to be, um, but you're the you're the key. You have to you have to make the change yourself. You have to want it yourself. And just we're going to finish shortly. Um, your family, like, f seem to me and and your closest friends, really important. Is it is it important to have that close network? Like you speak so passionately about your little sister and your brother, how much they've helped you. Um, like that kind of close unit. I, I'm I'm very much one. I've very close with my family but I have a very close um, network of friends that I just trust and always have yeah. and you know I, I, I'm the type of person that you know probably struggles to trust people outside of that circle you know being burned a few few different times and does that do they help you your your close network of friends and family yeah big time and I think I think we all need human connection mm. and I think for so long like trust was such a big thing for me like especially when it, it's broken when you're, when you're younger when you're at a certain age it's it's very hard to rebuild then and you just no, I I just never trusted anyone. And then when I kinda realised, geez, you know, not everyone's out to get you, like mm. open up a little bit and like I didn't speak to my sister, say, for I lost maybe six, seven years in, in addiction and she was in Canada and she came home then about a year about two years ago and now we talk every day since like mm. and so she, she's huge and like but I'd isolate myself from everything. Now I have her back in my life. I have a brother there and I have two nephews and, and they're gorgeous and I, I love them the best. My brother's been so good to me and my mom my mom's doing well. She's she's in recovery as well, so mm. she's doing great. But I do I've I've a I've a, a circle of friends there and like like that if you know, they know you inside out mm. and 
because sometimes I, I am very hard and I'm sharp and I say like no just get on with it the fuck yeah. like, do you know what I mean yeah. whereas like they'll be like they'll be like you having a bad day Molly yeah. you alright yeah. they'll, they'll just slag it and next of all everything doesn't seem so bad so like I think we all need that human connection and if you can trust one person even I think it doesn't have to be a professional or it doesn't have to be a counsellor or something but if you can just trust someone you can confide yeah. in or you can look for a look that knows you I think it, it's huge it, like you know, like we don't have to take on the world on our own. And I thought for so long I did. And I suppose just to finish, what's like, what's next? What's your short term or I even hate, I hate saying goals, but what do you see like for the next couple of months, years or what, what would you like to do? Like, is it, I know you're actually, that's a question. I know you had a, a little issue with your heart complaint and you had to stop sport. How has that been? And, and then what's next? Not just on the sporting front, on, on life in general. Yeah, no, it's, it's been good. I haven't, I haven't had a, a scare of it in a couple of months. I was only saying to, to someone yesterday. So that's been good. Um, health-wise, I'm great. Um, I have energy, like, I think today that I've never had. Like, I've almost too much energy. Um, but it's great. I, I exerted in the gym and I turned my... I had a gym, but I turned all my business online. Um, it just gives me a bit more freedom and I can kind of work with more people. Um, so I'm back playing football. I'm going to go back playing basketball, hopefully, next year with... Um, I'll go back down to Carlo where I was playing and I'll be back with Kildare next year. I've a I've a, a few years left yet. Yeah. Um there's still life in the old dog. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, I just like I just I have a simple life today and I love it. The dream is that I have me and Bale somewhere and I just have a little bit of a bit of a site with a log cabin and a little farm and just peace of mind and that's that's why that's the dream for me, so um, who knows I try to just keep it in the day because I'd get fierce anxious thinking too far ahead I'd go yeah. oh my god yeah. so focus on the day and but I am very goal driven and I had I, I wrote down I wrote down on a piece of paper two years ago and I remember writing it down and I said I want to win an All-Ireland as a goalkeeper and an outfield player and I wrote that down so sport wise I want to win an All-Ireland that's something mm-hmm. definitely I want to do again um, and yeah just help as many people as I can I think whether it's I go back to college and I get some more education or whatever it is just to use my story and my experience to, to help other people to show people that you know there is there is other options there is there is hope there yeah and I suppose finally have you advice for for young people growing up today and, and I don't mean from a sporting context just you know life is hard now life yeah. isn't you know a young person growing up if you're a a teenager and you know social media plays a huge part good and bad in, in life have you advice I, I i know i heard you say um possibly on the late late or some other program be kind but be kind to yourself like what advice would you have to, to them young people because as i said life is tough yeah i think um if i had to pick one thing and I'm, I'm probably just looking back on myself but i see kids today and like social media is just it's frightening and people have this perception that this is the way they want their life to be and that's not reality. Mm. Um, and then people say, oh, geez, I can't do this because someone else is going to think this of me or I'm not wearing these cool shoes or I don't have that jacket like everyone else. The advice I give to people, to young kids especially, is to don't give uh, what anybody thinks about you. And I think people's opinions aren't always going to be there when you have to choose a course in school, when you have to find a house, when, you, when you're doing things, a job, a career, whatever it is in life, people's opinions aren't going to be there. So, what people think. Yeah. That's, that'd be the main thing I'd say. Um, 
don't be worried about other people's opinions and, and to dream big like I, I used to think geez I can't do this because this person will think of me mm. I can't have this dream or this goal because they're going to say this about me dream big and I think the only limitations are the ones we put on ourselves don't have limitations just if you have something you want to do put your mind to it and you give it absolutely everything you'll get there Brilliant. Thanks, Mary. Um, you're an extraordinary woman. Um, your story is just amazing. I'm honestly sitting here for the last hour and I'm just amazed by everything that you said. Um, I really want to wish you the best luck um, in life in general, in you know, continued in success in, in the sporting career, but also, most importantly, continued success in your recovery. Um, your story, as I said, is just amazing. And I think you're going to inspire people and I think you're going to help so many people along the way. So thanks for, really thank you for coming on today.